Hello, everyone. I'm Steve Coddington, and I just wanted to talk to you guys today about uh, something we wanted to do as a church, and we've done previously, and that is uh, give warm clothing and other items to the homeless children uh, within uh, Eau Claire. Um, so what we um, have done in the past, and what we're going to do this time, is we have gotten these needs that uh, someone who works with these children, um, and she has noted things that she does not have, and we have noted them on cards, and we would like it if, uh, if you want to participate to grab one or multiple cards, purchase those things, and bring them back to the church. Um, for the clothing and stuff, we are accepting new or gently used items. And um, um, there are some other things in the bulletin that might not be on the cards out there. Uh, I think it said, like, uh, shampoos and stuff like that. Um, I was, uh, it, it's really important for us to take these items and get them back to us as quickly as possible. It's starting to get cold out, and we're trying to do, uh, get this stuff to these kids um, before it, they really need it. And um, it, we're probably only going to do this for a couple of weeks, so take the opportunity this Sunday to grab some. If there's some extra ones next week, feel free to grab some more. Um, I was really challenged by uh, another pastor when we were doing a clothing drive for some people, and he uh, really challenged the congregation to uh, show their love through the items that they're giving. So not giving something that you wouldn't see your loved ones or your children in, but nicer stuff. Uh, that really impacted me, and so I really want to share that with you guys so that you can hear that and maybe be challenged that this is an opportunity to love children in ways that they typically aren't loved. You know, they don't get new stuff. They don't get nice stuff. Uh, they get a lot of hand-me-downs or leftovers or maybe not getting presents or stuff like this. And so this is a great opportunity for us to love uh, the children that uh, need it in our communities. And I just thank you for uh, letting me talk to you about that. Oh, is this on? There we go. Rich kids, you know what to do. Have fun. The rest of us, uh, good morning. My name is Ryan Koppel. I'm an elder at the church, and I just want to take a second to speak on behalf of the other elders. Um, we don't often get to say this, but um, we pray for you, um, and we love you guys. We want to get to know you. And uh, so if I don't know you, come say hi. Um, if you have questions or problems or need anything, please come talk to me um, or one of the other elders. We would love to serve and to help you. Uh, so this morning we're going to be talking about life in Christ. Um, but first, I'm going to tell every one of you two things that I know about you. And then I'm going to make one guess. This is not some kind of like mind-reading thing. <laughs> it's on a much much higher level. So two things that I know. The first thing that I know about each and every one of you in here is that you face trouble. You have some sort of trouble. Each and every one of you sitting in a chair here has trouble. Jesus promised us in his word, he said, uh, in this world you will have trouble. Uh, that's in, in John 16. If you go there and turn there in your Bible, you'll be kind of near where we're going to be talking 
through this morning. So that's the first thing I know. Each and every one of you has trouble in this world. Uh, the second thing, I'm going to take a guess. Uh, because you're here, I'm going to guess that each and every one of you has tried to talk to God about your trouble. Um, you may be here, and, and if you're much more courageous than most of us, you may be here and may not be a Christian. You may not have ever even tried to reach out to God, but you're here, and that is an awesome thing. Thank you for being here, and I hope and pray um, that your heart is open to the truth this morning. But I'm going to guess that every one of you has tr- tr- turned to God with your troubles and talked to Him about your trouble. The last thing that uh, I know for certain is that God hears you when you pray to him. I know for certain that God is there when you pray. Um, I spend a lot of time praying in my car, um, so sometimes I like to think maybe it looks something like this. Yeah, I know. How did it go? I didn't feel anything. Yeah. Kind of felt good, didn't it? Uh, is, is this real life? Yeah, this is real life. Okay, now. Okay, now I, I have two fingers. Good. Uh, four fingers. Four fingers. No, uh, uh, uh. Don't put that in. Don't put it in your mouth. Okay. You feel good? I can't see anything. Yes, you can. Stay in your seat. I don't feel tired. You don't? Uh-uh. No? Drop stitches. Uh-huh. Yes. On my teeth. Yeah, don't touch it. Don't. Why can't I touch it? Because it'll mess up the stitches. You have four eyes. Yeah. I, I feel funny. Why is this happening to me? It's okay, bud. It's just from the medicine. Okay? No, no, it won't be forever. No, it won't won't be forever. Uh, it's a funny video. Uh, sometimes I can't control myself when I'm watching it. Um, but each and every one of you face a trouble. Maybe your trouble um, is a result of poverty, and you just don't have. You're lacking. You're trying to count, and you don't know if you have two fingers or four fingers, and something happened, and you thought you had four fingers, and, well, you didn't. In reality, you didn't have four fingers. There were only two fingers. Uh, Your problem is that you had a need, and this morning, God wants to tell you that I will meet your need. Maybe your trouble is a a trouble of perspective. Um, In our culture, we have a lot of trouble with other people's perspective of us, the way we talk, the way we dress, the way our hair looks. Uh, maybe your trouble is a perspective, maybe a perspective of, of how, you, how you perceive God. Maybe you're perceiving God in a wrong way and you're looking at him and saying, God, you have four eyes. You, you're just weird, God. You don't make sense. 
Maybe your problem is pain. And, uh, excuse me, maybe your problem is perspective, and, and, and in your perspective, uh, God wants to tell you this morning that I value you. Other people may not value you for, for, for your perspective, but God wants to tell you this morning, your Father wants to tell you, I value you. Maybe your problem is pain this morning. Pain you've caused yourself, um, pain inflicted to you from somebody else, or just pain from the circumstances of life. And you're touching your stitches, wanting to know what's going on. You're tired, and, and you just want to scream sometimes. Your father wants to tell you this morning that I will set you free. Maybe your trouble this morning it revolves around your plans. You're asking, why is this happening to me? And is this going to be forever? Your father wants to tell you that I am your hope, and I am your life, and you have a purpose. With that, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word as we come before you this morning to hear your truth to us. I pray that you will soften our hearts and that in us you would produce a hundredfold. And pray for my words, that they will be from you. Anything that I speak that is false or from myself, you would take away. And I pray and ask for your protection over this place, that you would relieve us from dis distractions and deceptions in our lives and our minds, and by the Holy Spirit, you will allow freedom to reign in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are going to be uh, in, in John 17 this morning. Let's uh, take a look at the verse quick. I'll read it. <clears throat> John 17 says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John 17 now let me give you a little bit of setting what's going on here in John 17. Um, I told you earlier that uh, Jesus said in John 16, you will have trouble in this world. Uh, John 13 through uh, John 17 is Jesus' last supper. It's his, during his mealtime with his disciples. Um, and he, in this verse, this is during his high priestly prayer. Uh, this is Jesus' longest prayer in all of Scripture. It reveals his intimate connection that he has with his Father. Um, and from here, we can see uh, what I think is the Father's perspective on eternal life. And eternal life, from the Father's perspective, is more than heaven. It's more than what happens when you die. I just want you to start thinking about that. Um, and as we look through Scripture this morning, I could talk about the Father's uh, plan for eternal life um, from the whole Scripture. There's, it says a ton about it. Um, but you'll appreciate that I'm not going to give a sermon from the whole scripture this morning. I'm just going to look at one verse. And in this one verse, you'll notice in your outline we have four points. From those four points, I'm going to direct four challenges to you this morning. So the first point is love. When we think about eternal life, we must think about love. It says, and this is eternal life. You see, John, when he wrote his gospel, uh, he wanted to talk about two types of life. Biological life, um, in chapter 1, he says that Jesus is the maker of life, he's the giver of life, all biological life is in him. In John chapter 3, he puts a word in front of this word life, eternal life, identifying that it's something different. 
Uh, many of you may know John 3.16. This is where uh, eternal life comes from, God's perspective. It says, starts, For God so loved the world. We cannot talk about eternal life without talking about the love of God. The love of God initiates eternal life. See, for God so loved the world that he gave. Now, why did he give? He gave because we lack, because we had a need. There was nothing that we could do to save ourselves. God saw that need, and in his love, he initiated his plan. God's overflowing generosity led him to this plan to send his son. So we see this need that God met in his love. We cannot talk about eternal life without talking about love. Love initiates life. Love gives life. As you've experienced the love of God in your life, it is, it is freeing, it is awesome. But it also directs us, makes us observe the other needs in life. Maybe it's warm clothing for a child. Maybe it's somebody's just depressed and they need to see a smile on a face. My challenge for you this morning is will you look for needs? Will you look for needs? They're all around you. My challenge for you this morning is to be observant. So, love. Love is the first point. Uh, next, we continue on. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you. This is eternal life, that they may know you. The essence of eternal life is intimacy. The second point is intimacy. The essence of eternal life is intimacy. Now, in, in this translation, it's, it's pretty clear. This is eternal life, that they may know you. Other translations, um, the Jehovah's Witness translation of the Bible, the Watchtower Bible, uh, says that this is eternal life to take in knowledge of you. Um, another translation says that this is the way to eternal life, that they may know you. You see, that you know God, that you have an intimate connection with him, is the essence. It's not just the means to eternal life. Now, what does it mean to know God? This word know is not just a head knowledge. It's not just even a religious knowledge. It is a personal, intimate knowledge. It's the same know that is used for Adam and Eve knowing each other in a, in a very close and intimate way. It is also used in the Greek, in this sense, in the continuous language, in the continuous aspect. So it's not just a know, okay, I know this fact, and then I move on with the rest of my life. But it's a knowledge, a deep relationship that affects the rest of your life. Jesus challenges the intimacy of the Pharisees in speaking about eternal life. In John 5, 39, he says, You search the scriptures because you think in them you find eternal life, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have eternal life. You see, the Pharisees' problem is that they were looking down. They were looking down at their Bibles, their, their Torah, 
they were looking down and then looking out. The problem was they never looked into the Father's eyes. The problem is they never looked up. In John 17, verse 1, Jesus says that he looked up into his Father's eyes. Here, when we look into our Father's eyes, through prayer, through connection with him, our Father tells us that we are valued, that we have a relationship with him, an intimate connection with him. And when we are valued, we can become vulnerable. Um, I'm going to try to speak this as carefully as possible, but when we're most vulnerable is when we are the most exposed. And when we are the most exposed is, is when we can create the most intimacy and the most genuine connections. When we get rid of all of the masks, the things that we try to put on to please other people, to find our value in what other people think about ourselves, when we get rid of ourselves, when we become vulnerable because we know that our Father values us, we become close to our Father. Jesus wants you to know that you can come to Him. You can come to God wherever you are, whatever your situation may be, whatever you're going through, whatever your trouble is. Come to me, Jesus says. So here's my challenge. Two questions. Where do you find value? Where do you find value? Are you finding value in your relationship with God? Do you have an intimate connection with God? Or are you finding your value, your worth, your identity in what others think about you? or your ability to do something very well so that you can perceive that you know something or that you're good at something? Where are you finding value? Next question, next challenge. Will you spend more time looking into the Father's eyes in prayer? I told you that I know you all have trouble, and I told you that I know that God hears you when you pray. He's waiting for you to come to him, to connect with him, to pray to him in an intimate, deep, knowing relationship. So that's intimacy. Next, we want to look at freedom. Freedom. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, the only true God. Now, how... How, does, how do I get freedom out of that? You may be wondering, what's, what does freedom have to do with truth? Well, first, let me, let's look at those two words, only. The word only is, is the word without accompaniment or alone. That they may know you personally, you God, you the Father, that you alone are God. There is no other God. There is no other God that can even stand next to you. To. God as a God. There is no other thing in all of the world that comes close to God. We sang earlier that God is our everything. He is the only God. Also, we see that He is the true God, the only true God. 
This word true identifies that God here is the ideal. He is like the original. Every, every other God is kind of a, a copy or a fake. That they may know you personally, intimately, that he is the creator of all things, that he is the only God, that all other, all other gods are false gods. You know the sad thing about false gods? We just went through Exodus. False gods look a lot like ourselves, don't they? They look a lot like the things that we glorify or praise in this world. But they're all false gods. Sadly, one of the things that we identify God as God in our culture um, is ourselves. So oftentimes we think that we are God. We have the, contr- the power and the control and the authority to direct things that are going on. And we can be completely autonomous from God. Even as Christians, we say, yeah, I know God. I know those facts of the Bible. I know that I prayed this prayer at some point in my life, and I'm, I know I'm saved. But we go on with our life not making an intimate connection with God. We think that when Jesus says in John 10 that I came to give them life and life abundantly, that it gives us the freedom to do whatever we want, that an abundant life is just doing whatever we want. I can have an abundant life. An abundant life means to me to go out and party and drink and have sex and enjoy this life, all that it has to offer. I want to engage in every single experience this life has because that's where I find life. Abundant life is doing whatever you want. That is a false God. To say that God, the Father, is the only true God identifies that there is absolute right and wrong, that there is absolute black and white, right and wrong. You see, in a world of false gods, multiple gods, it's completely chaotic. Anybody can do whatever they want, and anything is right, as long as it's right to you. It's chaos. God didn't create a world of chaos. God created a world of order. Yes, there are a lot of gray issues, but there is right and wrong. How do we know things that are right? Things that are right give us freedom. Things that are wrong, wound. Things that are wrong, wound. Sometimes we, from our, from our own wrong actions, wound, our, wound ourselves. God may heal it and stitch it all up, and we may poke it again, want to try to touch it and get rid of the pain that God is bringing us through in discipleship. But that wound is caused from our own wrongdoing, and we continue to do wrong. Sometimes our wounds come from other people, and sometimes we ourselves, because we are wounded, wound other people. Wrongs cause wounds. You see, our culture has gotten into this mindset, this attitude, that therefore, if it wounds nobody, if what I'm doing wounds nobody, if it doesn't hurt anybody, then it must not be wrong. Then it must be right. We've taken that into thinking that okay, whatever I think or feel or want to do, as long as it doesn't affect anybody else, it must be right. And then we've taken it a step further, and therefore, if it's right to me, I must express it and be able to tell every single person about it. And that's right. That's okay. 
And that's, that's good. It would be wrong for me not to go and tell everybody everything about my life and think that it's right. See, God created a world of order, of right and wrong, and of propriety, of proper interaction. Like what Kevin DeYoung said recently in an article, he said, to act in a way that is right and proper, even when you feel like doing something, it's not hypocrisy, it's called maturity. To act in a way that is right and proper, even when you feel like doing something else, it's not hypocrisy, it's called maturity. My challenge for you this morning, what causes you pain? What causes you pain? Is there an idol in your life? Is your pain the cause of an idol? Is it the idol of yourself? Is it the idol of clothing and money and success in this world? Is your idol true or false? And secondly, will you grow up? I'm challenging myself too. Will you, will you grow up? Will you initiate, take the next step to mature, to do what is right and proper in this world that God created in order? The pain that you are experiencing from these wounds and from sometimes our immaturity, Father wants you to know as he looks into your eyes and gives you life, wants you to know that I will set you free. Jesus says, dwell in my truth. Abide in my truth. If you remain in my truth, the truth will set you free. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. There's a lot of talk about knowing God. I know God. Oh yeah, God told me to do this, or I pray to God. You know, there's a lot of views of God. We just talked about them, all the false gods that can exist. Even the way we view the Lord God of Scripture can be skewed or taken wrongly if we don't see God, if we don't know God through knowing Jesus Christ. We cannot know the Father without knowing Jesus Jesus told his disciples when he told them that he was going to prepare a place for them, he said, the disciples said, we don't know where you're going. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Later in, in Jesus' prayer, we know that Jesus is sent and that he and he wants to send us, not in a way, in, in, a, in a violent, militant way, in a, in a closed-off relational way, but in a, in a very connected relational way. Later in, in his prayer, Jesus prays 
for us, for us the church, he prays that they may be one just as Jesus and, and the Father are one. And the final point is to engage. To engage. Jesus Christ was sent into this world for a very specific purpose. He told Pilate, he kind of told Pilate his, his, his purpose for coming. You know, Pilate was accusing him, was, was putting him onto trial, and he said, so you're a king, right? And Jesus said, yes, you're right that I am a king, and for this reason I have come, that I may be a witness to the truth. That I may be a witness to the truth. Now, what kind of king comes? A lot of kings just send, but Jesus, our God, is, is an amazing king, and he comes. But he comes as a witness. It's a beautiful word. In the Greek, the same word is martyr. Jesus came to be a martyr to the truth. Jesus came to die. Jesus came so that we may have life, that we may experience the fullness of life, of love, of intimacy, of freedom, and that we may be called to engage in the mission of God. See that when we understand this, we understand what life really is. We understand that eternal life doesn't start when you die. Eternal life starts when you die. Let me say it again with emphasis. Again, maybe you can hear it. Eternal life doesn't start when you die. Eternal life starts when you die. When you die to yourself. When you take up your cross. Scripture tells us that when you have died, your life is hidden with Christ, that your life is hidden with Christ. You already have life. If you already have died, nobody can take your life from you. You already gave your life. You have already died, and you have eternal life. You experience this is eternal life, to know you, the only true God and Jesus whom he has sent. That's why I can that's why I can read these these nine names to you. These nine people died long ago. Lucero Alcarez, Quinn Glenn Cooper, Lucas Eibel, Kim Saltmarsh, Dietz, Jason Dale Johnson, Lawrence Levine, Serena Don Moore, Trevin Taylor, Rebecca Ann Carnes. These nine souls were martyred on Tuesday in Roseburg, Oregon. Their killer asked them this question, Are you a Christian? And that's my question for you this morning. Are you a Christian? John 17 says that God did not send Jesus into this world to condemn the world any further. God sent Jesus in the world that, in order that the world may be saved. 
This is the gospel that God sent his son Jesus into the world. That means that he literally took on our flesh. He became a child. He became full of our humanity. He took on our likeness. He became a man. We often think that Jesus is God, and yes, he is fully God, but he was also fully man. He experienced all the temptations that we face, all the trouble that we face. He was sent. Yet, he was without sin. He was sent to die. He, he lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death so that his perfect blood could be the substitutionary atonement for our own sin. The Father sent Jesus to die. See, when we look at Jesus' life, that's the bread. Jesus is his flesh. It's his, his, the bread. It's his life. He was human. When we look at his death, it's the blood that he shed on your behalf. The world, the whole world, and you, and you, and you, and you. Each and every single one of you, Jesus died for you that you may experience eternal life, both in this life and in the life to come. So this morning, we get to celebrate. We get to celebrate this amazing gospel that I've been privileged to be up here and share with you this morning. Scripture says that it's proper and it's right to reflect. Take time to examine yourself. I'm going to give us some time this morning as those who are going to serve with me and, and the band to come up. I'm going to give us just a time of silence to examine your life, your love, your intimacy, your freedom, and how you can engage with God and your sin. Is there something keeping you from God? You can talk to him about that. Let's have a time of silence.